Savior. Amen. How many is thankful to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. I am thankful to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles, why don't you stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord? Amen. We're going to just jump right into what God has for us this morning. And I feel there's already been several confirmations uh, yesterday and this morning of what we're going to talk about here today. And uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you stand with me? Let's stand on our feet for reverence of the word of the Lord. If you can't stand due to medical reasons, we understand. Amen. But if you can stand, let's stand and let's read Psalms chapter 84. The King James says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee. Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley, the valley of Baca, uh, of Baca made it, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. In verse number 10, we we sang this a few moments ago. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And finally, verse number 12 says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Amen. I want to uh, preach, talk to you for a few moments this morning on this topic. Why I go to church. Dot, dot, dot. Regularly. Amen. Sister Jean will have to get that. Why I go to church regularly. Why I go to church regularly. Could you set your Bibles down and could you pray with me today? And I'd like to ask the church that's here today to lift up your voice. And I want to hear you pray. And I want you to ask the Lord whatever you need from him today. I want you to bring your petition before him. And I want us to talk with him. And I want us to invite his presence one more time. And if you want a word from the Lord, I want you to begin to tell the Lord what you need today. Amen. Why don't we do that for a few moments? Lord, we love you today. Come on, let me hear you. Lift up your voice. Jesus, we call upon you this morning. We lift you up, Lord. We magnify you. I pray right now, Lord, for the touch of the Holy Ghost. I pray right now, Lord, you would speak to us, Lord, that the Holy Ghost have its way in this place. I cannot do anything by myself. I need you, Lord. I need you today. I want a word from heaven today. I want a word from the Lord today. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 
Come on, let's put our hands together and let's clap with the Lord and let's worship Him in this place. Come on, I want everybody to put your hands together. Amen. And worship the Lord today. Lord, we love you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Amen. I like to ask this morning before I move into this message today that there be no going, getting up and down. Amen. While I'm preaching. Amen. I don't want anybody getting up and going to the restroom unless you absolutely have to use the restroom. And getting up and getting water. Amen. I'd like to have your undivided attention for the next few moments. Amen. My, my, I was raised, amen, you, you take care of your personal business before you come to church. And when we have church, we're not going to get up and down. We're going to stay. We're going to listen. We're going to hear every word. And we're going to preach with the preacher today. The George Barna Research Group com- completed a study in the month of May 2017 entitled Church Attendance Trends Around the Century. And in this study of church attendance in the United States of America, they found a trusted measure, a measure, how they measure religiosity, if you're religious or not, or if you have a certain faith or creed that you uphold to. If, if, and the people in this world, if they want to measure that, the measure that they uh, used was church attendance. Barna's latest report Ranks the nation's largest, it ranked the nation's largest cities according to three different metrics related to church attendance. The first one was a word called churched. Say that with me, churched. Church. With the E-D on the end, churched. And that meant, uh, so that was the first one. And the second one was unchurched. Say unchurched. unchurched. And the third word, the third category of how they... Uh, Position people and place them into the category was the word called de church. Say de church. So they had the church, the unchurched, and the de church. And I'm going to talk about that. They classified as church those people that were very active and that have attended a church service in the past seven days, not including a special event such as a wedding or a funeral. Those that were classified as as unchurched had not attended a church service in the past six months, not including a special event such as a wedding or a funeral. And finally, those classified as de-churched were formerly formerly either very, very somewhat or minimally active churchgoers, but had not attended a church service in the past six months. Excluding a special event such as a wedding or a funeral. And based on Barna's uh, research uh, data, their recent data that came out from their research, uh, almost four in ten Americans were active churchgoers, or 38%. Around the uh, slightly more than 43% were unchurched. So even more people were not going to church, had not been to church in more than seven days. And slightly more, and around 34% were de-churched. So there's quite a group, there's quite a large group of the population that is either neither going to church 
For it hasn't been a church in seven days or longer or six months or longer. And there's only 38% that are actively going to church. That number probably has come down, if you look at it through trends, has gone down, down, down through the, through the last several decades in American history. As, mo- as most people many years ago would take their families, would get in the car and would go drive to church. And we would go to the house of the Lord. But that number has been steadily declining. The interesting thing that I want to call out from this study that it pertains to this group of people in this local assembly today. Is they had a ranking of the unchurched cities. And topping, topping the list of unchurched cities. They categorized the San Francisco Bay Area as the top in the nation. It was the 60% of people in the San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose Bay Area were unchurched people. The highest unchurched group of people was right here just a few miles from where we are. And if you know anything about this particular area where we live today in the city of Lathrop, whether you live in Lathrop or Stockton or Tracy or even Manteca, most all of your neighbors, a lot of them or even many in this place today have come from where? The Bay Area. And that is something that is very prevalent in the Bay Area. And that is making its way this direction. That is why this is very important. Because I want us to understand the things that we are dealing with. And the things that we are up against today. Amen. That spirit that if we're not careful will try to creep into the church. And that spirit of being busy. That spirit of being uh, preoccupied with different things. Amen. Would try to creep into the church. And the way that it creeps into the church is simple. It's one service at a time. You say, how does that spirit work? It works on you one service at a time. It just says, you know what? It's just it's just Wednesday night. It's not even that great on Wednesday. They don't have all the music. I'll just miss Wednesday night. Right. You know what? I went to church last Sunday and Wednesday. I, I, and I, I think I'm going to skip this one Sunday because you know what? I'm feeling this little pain in my side. That's right. And I don't want it to get worse. And I got to go to work tomorrow. And so the devil begins to work on you one service at a time. Amen. One service at a time. How many kids go to school in this place? Raise your hand nice and high. Do you go to school? How important is it for you to be there every, every day? Very important, right? What happens if little Corday goes missing one day? Mama, mama knows, probably. Teacher may or may not know until they're doing the attendance. You may not get a phone call. I'm not sure how it works in the in the current day. You may do you get a phone call the first day? Yes. Definitely the first day. Yeah. Are you offended when they call you? No. No, because you know what? They care. They want to know, hey, where's my boy? Now, if school is so important that missing is you get garners a phone call and they say, wait a minute, where's Cordain? Our class is gonna be boring today. We ain't got Cordain. We want Corday in class. Mama, where, where's your son? Oh, you know, he's not feeling well. Th- that means something to the teacher, and they're going to call. And that we, you see the importance of, uh, of being in school. Why? Why do they make a big deal about it? Because you need to be there. Because they might teach something on that particular day that might help you for the years to come. Maybe it's a particular subject that's introduced 
On that first day, and the teacher's giving lots of different uh, uh, color to the situation. They're telling you, okay, we're going to dive into statistics. You're like, oh, my God, and I love statistics. And they begin to let, all, let you know about all the different things you're going to encounter, how to kind of think about it. And then the next and then the next day they begin to dive into it. But if you miss that introductory lesson, you, you see what I'm saying? There's there's that importance of being in class every day. And important note that it will they'll call your teacher. And you say, okay, well that's great for the kids. How about us adults? What happens to the adults that how many got jobs? How many got jobs? I got a job. Thank you, Jesus. How many knows what happens if you just decide not to show up to your job? You get a raise? <laughs> I want to work where you work, brother. <laughs> what happens if you don't show up and you don't call? What's it called? No call, no show. It's, it's grounds for probably doing that if you've been pushing the envelope. Why? Why is, it, why is the company going to stop if you miss one day work? It might if you're if you're a sole proprietorship and you're the you're the barber and with your barber shop and you know you're just not going to make any money. There, it's important that uh, you you show up day after day to your job. My dad would tell me as he as he was cutting hair uh, for many years and he was uh, if he moved to a new location he understood what it meant what it meant to develop to build up a client base a clientele and and building up a business you had to be there every day. You had to be there and have your – he had his three-piece suit on, and he, he was looking sharp. And he was there every day. He was, he was doing everything he could. He was working uh, many, many – but you know what? It was a consistency. And he said that with enough time, if enough time transpired and you were there consistently day after day and you, you were performing, you put out a good product and you did, you did good service, you did good work, eventually with time, people would say, you know what? I can make that phone call and I can make an appointment because – I know that person's going to be working, and I know if I call up uh, Alex Camarina, uh, he's going to give me a good haircut. I may pay a lot of money, but he's going to cut me nice. I'm going to be looking good. But it's, it's that consistency. It's that consistency. It's, it's showing up time after time and, and service after service and, and occasion after occasion. It's in the consistency and it's in the repetitiveness that brings the transformation. And that's what I want to tell you this morning. It's in the consistency and it's in the repetitiveness of doing something service after service, time after time, week after week, that suddenly you can look back and say, man, I've been going to church now for one year and I can look back on my life and I'm not what I used to be. Amen. I may not be what I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. Amen. God brought me out of the mire me up out of my He set my feet on a rock. And to the young person that goes to school, whether it be Emily, whether it be Sade or Elijah, those that are going to school, amen, you may look back and you may say, man, I went to school today and I don't feel like I learned nothing. You felt that way sometimes? I went to school today and I don't feel like I learned anything. What good is this math going to do me? I'm not going to be a mathematician. But you keep showing up. And eventually, you find yourself in the 12th grade looking at graduation ceremony and looking off to college and thinking, man, all those years, all those 12, 13 years that I was in school, amen, it's prepared me. Now I feel like I'm ready to take on the world. Amen. To the, to the person that works the 9 to 5 job, Monday through Friday, whatever type of schedule it is, it's showing up day after day. 
someone to promote you, you need to get a manager position. And you say, well, all I did was just be consistent. And nothing necessarily happened when you went to work on Monday. But you showed up again on Tuesday. And you put on your best foot forward. And you, you put on good clothes. And you, you put a smile on. You got cleaned up. You got shaved. You did your hair nice. And you showed up day after day. And they said, man, I like this guy. I like this cat. He's consistent. He's just doing what he needs to do. I can count on him. And I believe that God looks at the church in 2019 and God says, where are the people that are being consistent? Where are the people that are being faithful? Where are those individuals that I can count on, that I can rely on, that I can use for my glory? Hallelujah. It's in the consistency and it's in the repetitiveness that brings about the transformation. Dwight L. Moody, amen, they, they've called him, I think it's the Prince of Preachers. They've called him, uh, he's, he's a very renowned uh, preacher uh, many years ago. But Dwight L. Moody called this book, this chapter, Psalms 84, the Pearl of the Psalms. He, he referenced, he wrote a book about the book of Psalms. Uh, a commentary about the book of Psalms and went at it chapter by chapter. And he stepped back and he looked at Psalms chapter 84, which I read in your hearing a moment ago. And he said, this chapter is the pearl of the Psalms. Dwight L. Moody said regarding this chapter, if the 23rd Psalm was the most popular, the one that says the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's probably the most popular. Amen. If the 23rd were the most popular and the 103rd Chapter was the most joyful, talking about bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. And you know that that chapter. And uh, and the 119th chapter, amen, was the most experimental, experiential. What's 119? It's talking about thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Order my steps in your word, O Lord. And there's the experiential side of Psalms 119. Amen. And, uh, uh, and he talks about also the 51st Psalm that Brother Walmer was mentioning a few moments ago in his teaching. Amen. It's created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Search me, O God, and know me. Know my thoughts. Try the reins of my heart. He stepped back. Dwight L. Moody stepped back and said Psalms 23 was the most popular. 103 was the most joyful. 119 was the most experiential. And the the 51st Psalm, the most plaintive. Amen. But the Psalms chapter 84, this one was one of the most sweetest of the Psalms of peace. Because in Psalms 84, amen, there is, amen, there is a reminding of the people of God about the beauty of the house of God. And I'm going to tell you today, I'm going to, if you will, for a few moments contend, amen, for church attendance faithfully, regularly, and what it does, and how it transforms, and how it helps the common mankind to transcend, amen, their situations that they find themselves in. Psalms 84. How many have their Bibles? I want you to open your Bible. I want you to find Psalms 84. One more time. Psalms chapter 84. And I don't. I want. I want some. I want a volunteer that has a regular Bible, not an electronic Bible. I want you to read 
the words before verse 1. To the chief musician on an instrument of death, a psalm for the sons of Korah. A psalm for the sons of Korah. Psalms 84 was for the sons of Korah. How many knows who Korah was? Who's ever heard that name, Korah? Korah. Sons, the sons of Korah. Korah was a particular individual that served under the prophet Moses. He served under that great leader. You guys know Moses, right? The Red Sea, the rod, waters known. That's Moses, okay? Moses had a few people that were under him, quite a few for that matter. But some, several of the individuals that were under Moses was one by the name of Korah. And that's found in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. We're not going to read that. But Korah was among uh, two other guys, one called Dathan and Abiram. And these three individuals, they withstood Moses in the wilderness. And they, it was Korah that stood in front of Moses. Amen. This would be the equivalent of Brother Paul uh, standing up in the middle of church service and rebuking me as a pastor. God doesn't stand for that. That's what Korah did. Korah stood up with Dathan and Abiram. And he stood up in front of all the congregation. And he faced off with Moses. And he said, Moses, you take too much upon yourself. Seeing all the congregation is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. And Moses, you, you think you're all that. You, you think you're big, you're a big shot. You think you're this and you're that. We're all holy too, Mo- Moses. Korah had the guts, the gall to stand before Moses, the man of God, the man that God had chosen. However, when it came time, I want you to hear me today. When it came time for God's judgment to fall upon Korah, amen. When it came time for God's judgment to fall upon these three individuals, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, the Bible says that all the house, all the family of Dathan, and all the family in the house of Abiram, the Bible says it they perished with Dathan and Abiram as the earth itself opened up. I don't know if you can imagine that with me, but perhaps you can picture somehow in your mind. There's, there's been pictures you've probably seen on the internet of, of big uh, holes that have opened up in the ground. And if a person was unlucky enough to be that one in the car, that car is straight in the middle of the earth. As the earth opens up, this is exactly what happened to Korah and Dathan and Abiram. The Bible says, except that Dathan and Abiram had all of their family. Had Dathan had his wife, had his kids, his concubines, his servants, they were all with him as they stood before Moses. And the Bible says that God's judgment fell and Dathan and Abiram's household, they were all swallowed up in the earth. God doesn't play around. God doesn't play around, but... The Bible says that Korah, for some reason, Korah, just Korah and some of his mighty men, they were swallowed up in the earth, but not all of the family of Korah. Dathan and Abiram, all their family, all of their peoples were swallowed up. But Korah, for some reason, amen, for some reason, the sons of Korah, the children of Korah was spared from the judgment of God. They were spared. The Bible says that fire also came out of heaven and uh, it consumed, it burnt uh, up those that were offering strange fire. 
but the sons of Korah were spared. And I'm going to ask this question today. Isn't our story very similar today? Others have perished and been lost without God. And yet somehow in the, the expanse of mercy and the grace of God, He spared Nathan Camarina. Somehow God found enough mercy and enough grace to save me. And those that I grew up with, amen, many of those are, are lost. Some of them even died and, and gave up the ghosts. And that some of them are lost without God forever. But I'm thankful that God had mercy upon me. I don't deserve to be in this behind this pulpit today. I don't deserve to be on this platform preaching to a wonderful group of people. But it's by the grace and the mercies of God that I'm here. And it is also by the grace and the mercies of God that you are here today. Because God was merciful. And the sons of Korah, amen, were reminded in Psalms 84, be thankful to God for His mercy. Get to the house of God, sons of Korah, and get to the presence of God and show some worship and show some gratitude and lift up your voice and make a joyful noise unto the Lord and shout to God with the voice of triumph. Amen, they sing a song. Amen, ain't nobody got a right like the children of the Lord who see the light. Hey, I've got a right to praise Him. I've got a right to worship Him. I've got a right to lift my voice and magnify Him. Hallelujah. So the sons of Korah, amen, this song was written, amen, for the sons of Korah. Amen, think back, sons of Korah, on your ancestor, Korah, that man that rebelled against God. And everybody else was destroyed in the judgment. But God spared your life and your life and your life. God was good. God was good. And so one of the reasons why I go to church regularly is because I'm thankful that he saved a wretch like me. I'm thankful that he reached out his hand and pulled me out of the shaking pit of sin. He pulled me out of fire. He set my feet on a solid rock. And I'm here today to show my gratitude for all that he's done. I'm thankful today. I'm thankful today. The, the psalmist, uh, amen, goes, we could go through several of these verses. He says, how amiable are thy tabernacles, KJV, for how lovely are thy tabernacles. How lovely, amen. There's nothing quite equal to what to experience here in an apostolic church service. Amen. Some of you that have grown up in church a long time, amen, you're not able to make the necessary comparisons, if you please. Amen. But to those that have walked in shame, that have lived for self, amen, that have given themselves over to alcoholism and promiscuity and drug addiction, and on down the line, you come to church and you can see the contrast. You can see the difference between what it's like living for God and what it's like living for the world. And how lovely it is living for Him. How lovely, how wonderful it is to come to the house of God and feel His presence. 
I want to tell you today, if I got a personal invitation, handwritten to go to Mar-a-Lago tomorrow morning, I'd be on my way. Because President Trump invited me to go hang out at his house. How many would, how many probably, I don't want to ask that question. But I'm sure, amen, just about every one of us says, man, I got an invitation to go to that beautiful resort on the coast of Florida, Mar-a-Lago, hanging out with the president and the cabinet members and the who's who in society. Amen, I'm going to tell you, greater than Mar-a-Lago, whether you believe it or not, is right here in the house of God because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has extended an invitation to come into his house. to love him. The term tabernacles is used in this particular chapter in direct reference to the wilderness experience. We're talking about the sons of Korah and they're talking about tabernacles and those sons of Korah are remembering oh yeah that tabernacle in the wilderness we may not be in the wilderness no more we may have a temple right now but I remember back when it was just a tabernacle in the wilderness and the tabernacle in the wilderness amen was not some beautiful uh, beautiful artsy piece that was out there in the wilderness you paid tickets to see the wilderness, amen, that in that uh, uh, contained the tabernacle of the Lord, amen, was something that was not always beautiful to look at. It was dyed red animal skins laying stacked on top of one another, looking like this hideous thing that somebody probably put together, but it was the way that God instructed it to be. And the, the sons of Korah, when they heard this, uh, amen, this song, they were reminded of the tabernacle, and they were reminded that it was, uh, amen, it was not the outside that was, uh, that was making it so beautiful, but it was what was on the inside of that tabernacle. And it is what is on the inside of Abundant Life Center on a Sunday morning that is beautiful. It's beyond description. It's the best thing. And it's the best thing. This side of heaven is coming to the house of God and feeling Him. And knowing that He's here, knowing that He's here, knowing that He's here. Knowing that he's here. Knowing that he's here. Some years ago, I was visiting a few restaurants that were owned by famous people. One of them in particular was, uh, I don't even remember the name, but he was, I think it was in uh, San Ramon or Alamo, that area. Danville, it was in Danville. And it was a restaurant owned by Carlos Santana. And all my coworkers said, we got to go to this restaurant. It's owned by Carlos Santana. Maybe we might see him. And you know what's disappointing? You go to some of these restaurants that are owned by these famous celebrities. You're thinking, I'm going to go to their restaurant. And then you go to their restaurant. They ain't even there. I paid all this money. Uh, a few years ago, I was in, uh, in Chicago. They're on that, that famous strip. I can't remember the name of the street. I want to say Miracle Mile, but that's Stockton. Go and mix those two up. Uh, but I was there and I went to that restaurant that Michael Jordan owns. And you, you know, you'd say, man, I'm going to go to the restaurant that Michael Jordan owns and I'm going to see if he's there. He wasn't there. You know, you leave disappointed. And what's more disappointing than coming into church and, and saying, man, I'm going to the house of God, but somehow I, don't, I didn't see God anywhere. I didn't feel him anywhere. 
Amen. I was disappointed when I went to Michael Jordan's restaurant. He wasn't there. Carlos Santana, he wasn't there. And all these famous people, they weren't there. A few years ago, I went to a place in Sacramento, I think it was owned by Charles Barkley, one of those basketball players. And he wasn't there. And I was thinking, man, this stinks. I'm paying a lot of money for this steak. And, and this guy's not even at his own restaurant. But I want to come to church every Sunday and every Wednesday and even Monday night prayer. And I want to know that in God's house, God is there. I can feel him. I can hear him. I can touch him. I can know him. It's in the house of God that you experience the God of the house. The God of the house. It's what happens when you come to church that makes all the difference. You say, well, you know what? A Bun Life Center is not in the best location. I'll hand you that. We're by the railroad tracks. We're kind of the backside of town. For a long time, the building on the outside, I'll tell you, it didn't look too pretty. Now we got a little bit better paint, but it looks like stucco color. I'm thinking, man, this was my property. I'd be painting lines in that parking lot, and I'd be sprucing up the shrubs and doing all this stuff. And we started doing some of that, but, you know, you can't. We don't own this place. But you know what? It's not so much the, on the outside of this building that matters. It's what's on the inside. When somebody walks into this church house on a Sunday morning and they sit next to a Corday, or they sit next to a brother, and they say, you know what, man, I feel something coming off him. He's got the Holy Ghost. I feel something. Well, every time I get near this fine gentleman here, and I feel something just gets in my spirit, and I, and I want to shout, and I want to worship God. Amen. I feel God in this place. It's what happens on the inside. It's what happens while you're in church that makes all the difference in the world. And it's because, amen, what I experience in the house of God that I can drive up to this church and say, I love my church. I love this place. I love this people. I love this building. I'm so thankful because God is here. And this place represents hope. It represents the potential for transformation. It represents so much. It's the move of the Holy Ghost that I'm after this morning. It's a demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God, Brother Noah, that I'm after this morning. If I, if you invite me to your church, Brother Josh, and I show up and I don't feel nothing, I'm going to be disappointed. But if I'm invited to the house of God and Brother Josh picks me up for church and I say, man, I'm already feeling God on my way to church. And then I walk in the doors of the church and I say, man, I feel good. I feel light. I feel glorious. And then you're going to see the church begin to play. The guitar begins to play. People begin to lift up their hands. They lift up their voice. And suddenly, amen, people are filled with the Holy Ghost. Because God wants to move in the house. And that's why I go to church. It's because I want to see God do something in my life. Through my life. I want to see the move of the Holy Ghost. We all got friends, perhaps, that they do the wallflower. How many have some friends like that? Some friends that do the wallflower. You know what I'm talking about? The wallflower is, you guys may be doing something as a group of friends. Forgive me for a moment. They put their leg back on the wall and just kind of sit back and they're just hanging out. You're talking and doing something. They're just, oh, yeah. Some people come to church and do the wallflower. 
They just sit back. They fly right there in the wall. They get piled to the wall. They don't move. Move me. Sing something better. That's an old song. Whatever it would be. And they just plant themselves in a chair. But in the church of the living God. Amen people. Amen. They ought to come out of their seat. And they ought to begin to worship God. And say I'm not going to be a sideline spectator. I'm going to worship the king. I'm going to worship him. I want to interact with glory. Oh let's clap our hands to the Lord and give praise. Come on, let's clap our hands some more and let's worship him. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen. The song would continue my heart and my flesh. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. My heart and my flesh cries out for the living God. All the desires of this psalmist, all the desires of his soul and of his body, everything that was in him, every appetite, every wish of his flesh and of his soul, amen, he wanted more of God. He wanted a touch of the Holy Ghost. God, my heart and my flesh are crying out. The reason why a lot of us sometimes come to church and our heart and our flesh are not crying out for the living God, do you want to know why? Do you want to know why our heart and our flesh are not crying out, Jesus, I need you? It's because we've got so much of the world that we don't have any room in our lives for the touch of the Holy Ghost. We've got to make room in our lives and say, God, I'm going to kick out television. I'm going to kick out pornography. I'm going to kick out drugs. I'm going to kick out dating excessively. And I'm going to make time. I'm going to make room. Go for a church of the Holy Ghost. And then when you come to church, you will reach out. You will cry out, Jesus. Touch me, Lord. Move in my life. Get a hold of me, God. Get a hold of me, God. Get a hold of me, God. It's the con man who comes along. You've probably seen the, the different YouTube videos and whatnot. The con man that gets you starts talking to the individuals in the street. Buttering him up, talking, hey man, what's going on? And they're shaking hands, shaking my hand. And all of a sudden that watch comes off and this guy doesn't even know it. And this guy says, I got your watch. And he's, he's thinking, how'd you do that? Because I had you looking over here. And on this side, you weren't looking, but I was taking your watch off. The devil does that so many times. You're, you're, you're in the house of God and the preacher's preaching. And he's preaching his heart out like I'm trying to do this morning. And some people are not even looking at the preacher. Some people are looking away, their mindset on their vacation next week, or what they're going to do when they get out of church, and they're not paying attention to the house, to the preached word of God, and the devil, that con man, that liar, that cheat, that stealer, he's come along, and he's stealing out a revelation of your spirit, he's stealing out some joy, and he's saying, look over here, buddy, don't look at the preacher, look over here, don't listen, don't listen, hey, hey, let me have your attention, just don't listen, 
standing this morning that you and I ought to be faithful to the house of God. We ought to be faithful, faithful, faithful because it's in the repetitiveness. It's in the consistency that breeds transformation for a person's life. Breeds transformation. My wife does a fine job feeding our little baby. Sometimes my mother-in-law thinks too much. She says, Shannon, you're feeding too much. You don't need that much food. And I look at her, that baby looks nice and healthy to me. I don't mind a little bit of glory, we call it fat, on that baby. But you go through the necessary steps and procedures for that baby. And you make sure, you know what? That baby needs breakfast now, lunch, and dinner. And some bottles sprinkled throughout the day. And some crackers thrown on top of that. And some love and all these things. But you try messing with her lunch. You try skipping her dinner. You have a long night. You, you, try, you try pulling out from her one of those necessary elements that helps her to grow and be healthy and strong and develop. She's going to let you know, I ain't happy right now. I may not have a lot of ability. If they just think they can't beat you up to Felicia, but they can keep you up. They can keep you up all night long. You say, well, this baby's harmless. It's helpless, but it's got something. It's got something called lungs. And it can use those lungs, and it can let out their voice, and they can poop everywhere, and they can, they can make a fuss. They can get your attention. But don't mess with some of those things that are critical. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to contend this morning. Coming to church every Sunday morning. I said every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night. It's critical to your health, to your growth. It's being faithful. It's being faithful. It's being faithful. Hey, buddy, I don't feel good. I feel tired. I feel weak. I meant I appreciate how you're feeling. But somehow you've got to come to church. You've got to get to church. Because it's in the house of God where the glory comes down. And you may be weak in body. Perhaps you come to church, but I know it's coming. But on the other end of the aisle, the Nathan's fired up and ready to go. And he's prayed up. And you say, well, I'm just going to show up because pastor preached about on Sunday. That's good enough. But when you get to church, Brother Nathan has been praying. He's going to put his arm around and say, hey, I got some Holy Ghost in me that's overflowing. Have some of this. That's what happens when you come to church. How many times have you come to church feeling weak and weary, depressed, amen, sick in body, but you left differently than when you came in? Because there, this is a place of transformation. This is a place, amen, where your mind is healed, your heart is mended in the presence of God. It's the presence of God. The, the psalmist continued, the psalmist continued, the sparrow hath bound in house. And the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars. The connection is made. The psalmist makes a connection. The, the bird, the birds, the bird of the air that, that seeks at a place of rest. The swallow that makes a nest for her young. Make that connection in your mind. The swallow that, that makes this bird, that makes this nest for her young to raise her little, her little young birds. Uh, and that's very similar in nature and concept to the place uh, that we're in today. You say, what does that look like? That looks like a mama and a daddy. For a moment, I'll pick on them. That looks like Brother 
say, as they time after time bring less and Jenna, the kids, the babies, to the nest. They say, this is the place. You've seen the, you've seen the, the videos uh, of, of the eagle that has the nest. Uh, and then the, the, uh, the eagle finds this, this great place of refuge, uh, this place that's high up, uh, that has the, the right visibility. And that nest, and that eagle goes out, uh, and that eagle finds some, some flesh, finds some food, and brings it back and puts it in the mouth of the little birds. That's what's happening here. It's a high place. The church of the living God is a high place. It's a place where you can bring your kids. It's a place, it's a place where I bring my little girl. And I make sure that baby, that baby's not gonna miss. If, I, if I'm here, that baby's coming. This is a nest. A, a grounds for hatching, a grounds for birthing. This is a place where people come to an altar and they lift up their hands and surrender, and God gives them a Holy Ghost. It's a nest. And that nest is contributed by your coming to the house of God. Uh, you, you throw a twig on the altar in that nest. And it happens when you when you come to church and you, you pay some time. You give your time. You give your offering. You come and you pray. Another twig goes in that nest. So when that little baby comes into this world, they can lay back on the tender branches that you put in that nest of your prayers, your giving, we're able to have a nice place. Your, your, your faithfulness, you're able to give them love and warmth. We're contributing to that nest, the house of God. This is a place where families should feel welcome. This is a place where folks ought to come and say, I feel the rest that God has. It's a place where you can and should bring your children and grandchildren. A place for the whole family. I'm going to hurry on. The, the psalmist continues and says, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee. Blessed are they that dwell. <clears throat> that dwell. Not that at one time dwelt. You understand the difference between dwell and dwell. Do you know? Dwell is past tense. Dwell is present tense. Right. I always think back to that lesson Brother Longer gave on punctuation and etymology and thinking, okay, this is present tense. This is dwell. Not dwelt. This, this, this scripture is talking about blessed are they that continue to come. Blessed are they that continue to dwell in the house of God. Those that get up Sunday morning after Sunday morning, Wednesday night after Wednesday night, and say, I'm going to dwell in the house of God. I'm going to get back to the house of God. I'm going to come before his presence. I'm going to allow transformation to happen in my life. Dwell is a present tense. So whatever you've got to do, make sure that you continue to come to God's house. Not because I'm the pastor, but because God is the chief shepherd. Because he's in control. Not because I'll be happy with you, but because I want to please him. Because I love him. Because I'm faithful to him. I want to please him. I want to serve him. They'll still be praising thee. The joy and the happiness will continue for those in God's house. In the widely circulated news platform called USA Today, 
This is not a religious publication. You guys heard of the USA Today? I'm asking a lot of questions on purpose. Stay with me. USA Today. If you've been to any hotel, that thing is right there by your front door and the lobby downstairs. Not a religious publication. But would you believe that in June 1st, 2017, they wrote an article entitled, Can Attending Church Really Help You Live Longer? And I saw that in the news some time ago, and I said, I'm going to save that one because you never know. That There's something interesting there. And this study was done by a Vanderbilt University professor, Marino Bruce, a social and behavioral scientist. And he was the primary author of the study, along with a certain, name, a certain man called Keith Norris, who was a professor at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. These are not necessarily Christian universities. UCLA and Vanderbilt. They're big schools. If you ever get accepted, pray on it real hard because that would be a good one to go to. But these particular professors, along with a few others, wrote this article. They did this study. And Bruce, Marino Bruce, the Vanderbilt professor, attempted to answer the question, does spiritual health matter with respect to biological outcomes, flesh and blood? Bio, biology. I may not have that just right. Maybe it's, I get biology and physiology mess, mixed up, but it's one of the two. Okay, your your body, your physical body. They wanted to ask, they wanted to ask the question and answer it. Does spiritual health matter with respect to biological outcomes? The researchers used publicly publicly available data from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, which is collected by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's National Center for Health Statistics for the study. They filtered the data set, finding 5,449 participants of both sexes and all races. And this study by the Vanderbilt professor, Marino Bruce, and UCLA medical professor, Keith Morris, has found that people who attend religious services live longer and are less stressed out. Would you believe that? That's amazing. UCLA and, and Vanderbilt come together for a study, pulled data from the Center for Disease, for Diseases Control and these, these organizations, and the findings held true across faith traditions, said Bruce, the associate director of Vanderbilt's Center for Research on Men's Health. In a video posted to the university's YouTube ch channel, we found in our study, he is quoted saying, that actually attending church, that attending church is actually good for your health. And a lot of these things you read the Bible, we preach by the pulpit. A lot of people think, man, they don't know what they're talking about. They're still yesterday. They're still behind the times. The preacher, amen, the church, the Pentecostals, the apostolic movement, they're just preaching from an old dated book that doesn't mean anything. But I'm going to tell you, God is on the forefront, and God knows what he's doing. And when God says, amen, you need to be faithful church, there's a reason, there's a reason, there's a reason. And as long as I'm living, and as long as I've got breath in my body, I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. I'm going to be faithful to the house of God, who passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. And then though you pass through a valley of weeping and a barren and a desert place, amen, there is no fear because in the house of God and under his wings, we have what we need. You say, I'm going through a situation. I'm going through a trial. I'm going through a struggle 
in my life. The word of God says that you can go through a valley of weeping, a valley of despair, a valley of hurt. And in the midst of your valley, if you'll get to God's house and you'll get the spirit of God moving in your life, you can experience an oasis in the desert of your life. God can show up supernaturally like he wants to do this morning and say, I've got blessing for your life. I've got refreshing for your life. That's what happens in the house of God. But so many times they say, I'm tired. I don't feel good. I need a rest. And God said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And what? I will give you rest. 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 It's in the house of God. It's in this place that I'm contending for today. That gives rest. A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. We sang it a moment ago. A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. What's that scripture talking about? A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. What's it talking about in one word? Time. Time. The main thing with that verse is time. Because it's in the house of God that you get a proper perspective on time. It's in the house of God that you begin to see what matters most in the the course of my week, in the course of my day. If If I understand how time works, if I understand that my time is valuable, and the best place, the best way in which I can spend my time is coming to church at least twice a week and say, God, help me to Order my step. Order my steps. Yes. Let me number. My days are numbered. I want to know. I want to know, God, what's important. I want, I want to have a proper perspective of time. And then that, that scripture, that verse would continue. In the latter part of verse number 10, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. The other thing that comes into proper perspective is the placement of your life in this process of life. Your proper place in life comes into full illumination. And you begin to see God begins to shine his light upon your life. And you begin to see, wait a minute. All of my friends are dying. All of my friends are lost. Everybody I'm hanging around with has got trauma. they got all these issues. Everything in my world, in my environment is wrong. Something's wrong. That doesn't happen until you get to God's house and God shines a beam of light onto your life. You say, whoa, I never noticed where I was in life. I never noticed I was just wandering through life. You say, well, I'm moving up the ladder. I'm doing well in life. But are you really making a difference in eternity? Where are you actually going? What's the direction of your life? And so place, uh, you begin to get a proper perspective of your place in life. Where do I fit in life? Where, Where should I be? What should I be doing? All of that happens in the house of God. 
And the third thing that comes into uh, perspective in this verse uh, that is shown what happens when you come to church is persons and people and identity begin to come into view. Who am I? Who am I? What is my life? Am I just going to exist through life? Am I just going to survive through life? Or am I going to find that vein in the spirit where God wants me to operate? That happens in the house of God. You stay at home and you watch your television. And you let that, that one-eyed devil do all the thinking, all the, all the talking for you. Just sit there and take it in. You're lost in another fantasy world. You don't even know what you're doing. You don't even know what's happening in your life. You're just being babysat by the world. But when you come to church and God says, start thinking, start opening your eyes, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to shine some light in your life. That happened when you got to church. That happened when you got to church. You said, God, that's what I've been dealing with, God. That's what I've been struggling with, God. I, I couldn't pinpoint it. I couldn't figure out what it was. But God, the preacher began to preach. And he began to, he began to read my mail. And now I know what I need to do. That happened when you came to church. And you opened up your heart. And you said, I'm not going to get up and down to church. I'm going to sit. I'm going to stand where I need to be. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to give him my divine attention. And the light of his word begins to shine upon your life. The Lord God is a sun and shield. This is the last part I want to talk about in this chapter. In verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. In the New Testament, he's an S-O-N. In this particular verse, he's an S-U-N. What is the purpose of the sun? Do we need the sun? If we didn't have the sun, what would happen to us? You can go down the list. But the Lord is a sun and a shield. As a sun, it brings illumination. It brings light. Not only that, but the sun that is necessary for plant growth, the sun brings invigoration. You try hiding the sun for a few days behind a thick cloud of darkness, and a whole lot of people are going to go into depression. Naturally. Because, man, I can't see the light of day. That sun is there, and it brings invigoration. It brings life. And not only that, but it brings warmth. It brings warmth. Amen. Summers around the valley are a hot time. The sun brings light. And when it brings light, it also dispels the darkness. Amen. I want the Lord to shine his light upon my life. And that is what happens when I come to church. And that's why I come to church. Amen. Because sometimes I'm in the darkest of nights. And I can't see the light of day. But the Lord God is a sun. An S-U-N. And he shines his light upon me. And I feel life beginning to come back into my bones. And I feel invigoration. And I feel warmth. And I feel joy. And I realize I got a reason to live. I got a reason to rejoice. Because the Lord is shining His light upon my life. Oh, let's worship Him today. Hallelujah. 
If the musicians could come. And I know I've gone a little bit longer than I usually do. I'm going to church regularly. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful every time I, every time church doors are open, I'm going to be there. I'm going to make my vacation plans around my church attendance. I'm going to make sure no matter what, I'm going to church. If I can't come, I want my family going. Whatever it takes. One church, if you could stand with me today as we close, give you some hope. One church goer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper, and he complained. This particular reader of a newspaper wrote in his complaint. It made that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. He wrote into the, the editor of the newspaper said, you know what, it doesn't make any sense to go to the church every Sunday. What's the point? What's the point? What's his purpose? His letter read it. His letter reads like this. I've gone to church for 30 years now. And in that time, I've heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, he said, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time. And I think the pastor's wasting his time. And this started a real controversy in the letters to the editor column, as you can imagine. Everybody began weighing in and offering their different opinion. Much to the delight of the editor, garnering new interest in his newspaper publication. And this back and forth in the letters to the editor went back and forth for weeks until someone wrote the following culture and stopped all of the discussion. I've been married, he said, for 30 years now. And in that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I can't recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But I do know this, he, he said. They all nourished me and gave me the strength that I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would be physically dead today. <laughs> That's a lot of humor in that. There's also a lot of truth in that. You say, you know what? I come to church service after service. I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of this church. I've heard him preach over and over again until he's spitting all over the people in the front row and they're wiping their face. I've heard the preacher preach till he's red in the face and almost burst a blood vessel. I've heard the preacher go back and forth and preach and preach and preach. I've seen so many altar calls. I've heard so many people sing. And you know what? I don't feel any different. I'm going to tell you it's that consistency of coming to church. Service after service. Wednesday night after Wednesday night. Hey, I don't feel like it. Just get to church. You would think twice about skipping a meal. Amen. Why would you think twice about skipping some some food, some manna for your soul? Hallelujah. When you understand the importance of going to church, you realize, like this particular man realized, it's not optional. A lot of people look at church today and they think, you know what? Sundays is pretty good if you can go, but Wednesdays is optional. I ain't got to go on Wednesdays. I go on Sundays. 
But yet we would never, ever, 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 ever miss a meal. I, if I if I start to miss lunch and it begins become two three o'clock, I'm not happy. I'm not a good person to be around. I get hangry. I can't skip a meal. So fasting, God helps me. But if I'm not fasting, I'm, I'm, my body's saying, "Hey, hey, hey, you need to eat." And there ought to be something on the inside of us that says, "You know what? Why am I not in church on Wednesday night? Why am I not in church on Sunday morning? I need to be there." And that's the spirit of God on the inside saying, buddy, get back to church. Get back to church. Get back to church. I'd like for us all to come to the altar area, the front here, for this last scripture I want to read. I'd like us all to make our way to this altar, if you would, please. There's a story in the book of Genesis that includes the individual, the man named Jacob. 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 The heel grabber. The one that he deceived Esau and took his birthright. Jacob. Jacob, the one that deceived his dad, put on a, a goat skin on his arms and made his dad think he was his hairy brother Esau. And then fled for his life. That was Jacob. And in the midst of, after uh, following his deception of his father, Jacob, the Bible says, hightailed out of town. And he was on the run for his life. And Jacob laid down on a particular place. Laid his head down on a rock. Later on, I believe he called that name of that place Bethel. But Jacob, in Genesis chapter 28 and verse number 17. Actually, Chapter, verse 16, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This place. How dreadful is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob connects the house of God, what we are in today. With the gateway of heaven. How else do you get to heaven? By going through that gateway. How else do you get to heaven? Except going through that gateway. That that plan, that pattern that God has set in place. And when we are in this place even right now this morning. In this afternoon. Where you and I are standing. This is a gateway to the supernatural. This is a place you can reach out to God. And it's it's God coming directly down into this place. And God filling your soul. And God enrapturing your spirit. And God shining light upon your life. And God giving revelation. And God giving strength. And there is transactions that are happening with earth and with heaven. Because we're in the house of God. We're in the proper place. i like for us as we close this morning. i like us to lift our hands. And I'd like us to close our eyes. And I'd like us to begin to lift up our voice. And I want you to lift up your voice with the understanding, with the recognition that I am standing in a particular place that is a gateway to heaven. And whatever I come with today in this place, come on, come on, whatever.